What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Guys, I am so proud to share this interview with you with Keith and Sheila Gregoire, um, two really incredible people. You may have heard of Sheila before. She wrote The Great Sex Rescue, a book that has received really um, awards and critical acclaim and has just impacted a lot of lives. She's particularly passionate about, I would say, kind of debunking some of the common beliefs in especially evangelical Christianity around sex and what it looks like in the context of a marriage, what actually constitutes healthy sex. And her work is absolutely fascinating. And what I really like about both of these guys, not just Sheila, but Keith as well, is that their their work is actually based on surveys. They're talking to the people. They have literally interviewed tens of thousands of people to create the resources that they've created. So I mentioned Sheila's book, but Keith has recently just uh, released a book called uh, Good Guys Sex, sorry, Good Guys Guide to Great Sex. And um, Sheila has has released a, a similar version for women. And so the reason I'm proud to share this interview with you today is because we just talk about stuff that these guys don't normally talk about. Usually Sheila's talking quite a bit about the misnomers around sex and really, um, I would say advocating for women and, and seeing women in a healthy way and for husbands to engage their wives in a way that is godly, healthy, and actually places um, the appropriate amount of value and importance on the woman's experience of sex. Like just a phenomenal message. But it was really cool having Keith as well. Just hearing them both share, offering different sides of their experience, different sides of their stories, and really just some of the fascinating findings that their research has revealed, some of which you would expect, but actually quite a few things that you wouldn't. Um, One of the things that really fascinated me about this interview was talking about how unimportant the frequency of sex really is and how often we emphasize that. And I was I was taking notes at certain points. It was just so riveting. So I think you're going to learn a lot from this. I would encourage you to have a pad and a pen of paper, uh, a pen. Of, <laughs> that was hilarious. You know what I mean? A pad uh, of paper and a pen. I don't know why that was so hard. Have that on hand. Be ready to take some notes. Uh, this is really informative. And I think you're going to learn a lot. Without further ado, here's my interview with Keith and Sheila Gregoire. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Well, I'm here with Keith and Sheila Gregoire. Uh, guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. It's good to be here with a Canadian who can say our last name. It's awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. I didn't even roll my R's. I could have really got in there if I wanted to. But, uh, but this is super fun. Um, I mean, Sheila, I think a lot of people are familiar with your work, The Great Sex Rescue, an incredible book. And you guys have just released two new resources that I think are going to be a huge blessing. And we're, we're going to get into all of it. But I, I think as a starting point, it would just be awesome to hear a little bit about why both of you are so passionate. You know, Sheila, I think some people have probably, they've probably seen your videos or maybe they read your book and they think here's this like strong, powerful woman, a great message, uh, really advocating. Uh, but Keith, I mean, you got some real wisdom as well, man. And it's cool to be able to have both of you on the podcast today. So I don't care who answers first, but I'd love to hear from both of you. Why are you so passionate about the subject? 
Well, we had terrible sex for the first few years of our marriage. <laughs> like it was really bad. <laughs> and you know, it, when we got married, we really loved each other. We knew this was for life. We were sure that that we were the right ones for each other. But sex just didn't work. And it was, it was probably the biggest challenge we had. Um, and I think that made me very compassionate to other people who are going through things. And I always say to people when I speak at, at conferences, I know that the audience is looking up at the stage thinking they must do it really well. <laughs> but, but actually people who, who speak about something or write about something are usually the people who have had to learn something in that area. Because if you've yeah. never had to learn or struggle in an area, then God hasn't taught you anything. And so this is just a big area that that God had to teach us a lot. And we had a lot of learning to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's why when I started blogging, I was, I was mostly just a marriage blogger, mommy blogger, but when I did talk about sex, my traffic grew. And so I just leaned into that. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm the Christian sex lady now, whatever. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, so, you just owned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so for me, I'm a pediatrician, my regular day job. Uh, and then, you know, Sheila started getting into speaking and writing about marriage and sex. And so she started getting me involved. Uh, she came one day and said, you know, hey, how would you like to come and up in front of hundreds of people and talk about our, you know, most intimate details of our life, you know, and every guy's dream is to do that. So, you know, <laughs> so we signed on, I signed on and we've been doing this together for quite a few years now and it's working mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm sure one of the things you found out, Sheila, when you started to put yourself out there as vulnerable as it is, is that you're not the only one. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there's a lot of Christian couples having not so great sex. I'm wondering um, when you look back now, was it, was it that you had wrong expectations of what sex was? Did did somebody give you a false perception of what it should have been? Or were there some physical parts of it? Or why why was sex not, not so great in those early years of marriage? If you had asked me that five years ago, I would have told you that it was primarily a physical issue because I had vaginismus, which is a very common sexual dysfunction disorder that women can have where the muscles of the vaginal wall contract. And so penetration becomes uh, really painful, if not impossible. And Christian women suffer from that at twice the rate of the general population. So it's quite common among Christians. And I would have told you that was the big issue that it was physical, but since doing our surveys, <laughs> so we surveyed 20,000 women for the great sex rescue, and we've done follow-up surveys of another 9,500. And I realized a lot more what actually happened to us. And a lot of the reasons for vaginismus are often the things that we've internalized about sex. And I read some Christian books before I got married that really messed me up. And so, mm, yeah. <laughs> so my, my mission is to write very different books and try <laughs> to change the conversation because so many of our messages in the evangelical church around sex are related to entitlement for men and obligation for women. Hmm. And that's a very objectifying message, which is not at all the way the Bible sees sex, which is a something which is intimate and mutual and pleasurable for both. So I had a lot to unpack. Yeah, yeah I bet. I bet. Um, and as sorry. A, oh, go ahead, Keith. Go ahead. No, as I say, as a guy, I, I had the same thing, but in the opposite direction, right? Because I bought all those messages about how just wait till you're married. And once yeah. you're married, it'll all be perfect and fine and everything's wonderful. Uh, yeah. And then I have a wife who is having pain with intercourse. Um, and so um, it's a shame for me to say, I'm ashamed to say at this point, but at the time I was feeling hurt. Like I was being robbed of something because she was in pain. 
Mm. Um, and I, I just don't even know how I had that mindset, uh, except for the fact that I just took up all this entitlement mindset that's in our resources about how this is something that women should give to their husbands. Uh, and it's a very, you know, style of relating that's very pornographic. It's what can I get out of this? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I had to learn yeah. to see sex as something that's not something that I get from her, but something that we give to each other. Yeah, that's really well said. And I, you know, it's funny, a lot of people are always talking about technology and how technology has made pornography such an issue, which is absolutely true. But I do think the accessibility of porn has really just exposed how flawed we are in our thinking about sex. And I think how consumeristic we've been about sex for a very long time, long before technology mm -hmm. came around. And you're right, there are teachings out there, both within the church and beyond, that kind of, I guess, propagate that entitlement a little bit or propagate some of that wrong thinking. Um, Sheila, you do have some women who are listening to this podcast. We obviously target men, but we work with a lot of men who are in relationships. And um, sometimes it's their spouses who find this podcast first. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about kind of how you, or I guess maybe, maybe what were some of the most damaging things that you were believing? And then how did you work mm -hmm. through that? And the other thing I just want to mention, because I, I think you're saying this uh, maybe without saying it, but it sounds like some of the things that you were just taught and that you believed had actually impacted you so much that physically in the act of mm -hmm. sex, like there, were, there was a correlation there because you were believing these damaging things. You weren't going into sex being like, awesome, we get to have sex. It was like, okay, here we go. And it wasn't necessarily something to look forward to or enjoy. So I'm wondering if you can just maybe unpack that a little bit more and talk about kind of how you work through it. Yeah, so what we did for our book, The Great Sex Rescue, is we asked the question, are there certain evangelical teachings which are wrecking sex for women and for couples? And we surveyed 20,000 women. We asked about their marital satisfaction. We got up close and personal with many questions about their sexual lives. <laughs> and then we presented them with a series of teachings, which are quite common in the evangelical church, just to see... And I, I don't mean biblical teachings, I mean extra biblical. So these aren't in the mm. Bible, but these are just things that we tend to say in our in our church culture to see if there are certain ones that hurt because we could compare women who did believe something with women who didn't believe it and see if it had an impact on marital or sexual satisfaction. And we identified four big ones. There were others, but we talked about four big ones in the Great Sex Rescue. And one of them, which was probably the most damaging was the idea that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Hmm. Um, so we found that 43% of women reported being taught this before they were married. 39% got married believing it. And when a woman believes that, her chance of experiencing sexual pain increases to almost the same statistical effect as if she had been abused. Wow. So there's only a 0.1, for those who know anything about statistics, there's 0.1% between the confidence intervals. So statistically, they're almost the same. Yeah. And I think it's because both of them say to her, you don't matter. He has the right to use you however he wants. Hmm. And women's bodies actually interpret that as trauma. Hmm. Wow. Um, and so that's that's certainly what was going on with me. I was reading Christian books that that told me that once we were married, I couldn't deny him, that he had a need I could never understand, that hmm. he had a need for physical intimacy, whereas what I needed was just to talk. Um, <laughs> so sex was for him, not for me. And yeah. it just got really messed up. Because anytime you tell a woman that you don't matter or that you don't have any right over your own body, and I think those verses have been very misused in the church, um, you really erase her 
And sex is not about erasing someone. Sex is instead about seeing someone. That's the whole point is that sex is supposed to be this intimate joining of two people. Hmm. And instead we've made it into an erasing of her needs and perspectives. Um, and that's not healthy for anyone. Mm, okay. Okay. So Keith, on your side of this, I'm, I'm kind of just imagining. So early years of marriage, obviously like, you know, couples are just figuring out, it doesn't matter how much you have your act together. There's a huge learning curve. Um, Sheila, at some point, do you go, wait a minute, I think there's more to sex than what we've been taught. And you start kind of coming in with these new ideas or Keith, I don't know, were you the one who started to catalyze these conversations? I guess I'm just curious, like, cause I can kind of imagine with any subject, like I'm imagining couples who are trying to figure out finances and one is just super excited about like Dave Ramsey stuff and the other person's like, <laughs> why do we have to budget? Like what a waste of time. And somehow you have to kind of work this thing through and land on the same page. What, what was it like for you guys kind of working this through? And the reason I'm asking is because I think um, at some point in a marriage, uh, probably multiple points in a marriage, you're going to have to talk through things in sex. There's going to be issues that come up. And if you're not good at having those conversations or you're not comfortable or you just kind of sweep it under the rug, those issues are going to compound. So I'm, I'm just wondering if there's something we can maybe extract from your guys' experience because obviously you've reached a healthier place. How did, how did you start to make some of these changes in the marriage? Well, I think that we both stumbled through it together. <laughs> I think yeah. we, we both learned and we're still learning. We're still unpacking information from back in that time. I think a lot of times when I look back at the way that I thought about sex in the past, I had a lot of blind spots that I didn't really realize. If you had asked me as a, as a man, do you care about your wife enjoying sex? And do you care about her pleasure uh, as much as yours? I would have said, oh, yes, I would. Yes, yes, for sure. I do. Um, but I didn't always act that out in my life. And I didn't even realize I was not acting it out. Uh, and I'm not alone among men. We, we actually found some very interesting statistics for men. First of all, uh, are you aware that we have like a 47% orgasm gap? Um, I am, I am because of your guys' work. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah. So, so in sexual encounters, you know, men 95% of the time orgasm are always orgasm. 95% of men report. 95% of men. 95% of men report they always orgasm or, or almost always orgasm. But the wow. same number for women is only 48 so there's a gap of 47 there. So, you know, there's a there's a big difference between that. And and if we took that seriously, we would if we took women's pleasure seriously, that would be headline news. It never mm -hmm. gets any play in any Christian marriage resources that I've ever seen. Hmm. But here's a really interesting statistic. If you look at wives who do frequently orgasm and you ask their husbands, because we did a study of 3000 men to follow up on the 20,000 women Sheila was talking about. And if you ask those men do you do enough foreplay? You know, 95% of men say they do enough foreplay when their wife frequently orgasms. But the interesting thing is in couples where she doesn't frequently orgasm, 71% of men still say they do enough foreplay. <laughs> so my question is enough for what? <laughs> right. That's the feeling because it's enough foreplay. And the, inter the even more interesting, 59% of women 52. 52. Oh, I got the number wrong. 52% of women, over half of women who don't orgasm frequently also agree he does enough. Mm -hmm. So how do we interpret that? Oh. To me, the interpretation is, oh, he tried, but it didn't work. I'm just a woman. I'm broken. Or if you're the guy, well, you know, women are like that. They don't always like sex. They like to cuddle and watch chick flicks. We're the ones that actually like sex. That's a terrible way to take it message yeah. to take but that's what we've internalized mm -hmm. sex is for men women just should give it to them and i didn't even realize that was the mentality i had 
Um, but then when we finally gave that up, we said, you know what, this is something that is meant to be amazing for both of us, truly. Mm. Then it really did become amazing for both of us. Just that whole mind shift change just changed everything. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. that's amazing. So um, one of the things I love about your guys' work is that you're doing surveys and you're doing them with huge populations because um, I see a lot of studies that get quoted and then you go into the studies and you find out, oh, it was a group of like 60 people. So there's yeah. no statistical <laughs> significance there necessarily, right? Like you can't yep. control for a lot in a group that size. So it's really helpful to see that you guys are literally interviewing thousands of people and getting your data that way. I'm just curious, in the different surveys you've done over the years, is there anything surprising or anything that maybe you don't necessarily talk about a lot, but something that you did find in the data that you think might be worth sharing? I'm just, I'm just curious because I know data sometimes tells interesting mm -hmm. stories. Well, I'll tell you about the biggest thing that I started uh, teaching differently. Um, this was when I looked at our data, I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, got to delete a whole bunch of blog posts. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I... When, when a couple goes into the, a marriage counselor and they're talking about their marriage and how their marriage is bad, one of the first questions that the marriage counselor will ask typically is how often do you guys have sex? Right? right. Like that's just something that's, you know, frequency is just one of the first top level questions. How often do you guys have sex? And whenever we talk to couples, usually that is one of the big issues they mention. You know, we just don't, one person wants sex more than the other person. And typically, not always, but typically it's the husband who wants sex more than the wife. And so what is our response to that? And my response for a lot of years was to tell women, look, you know, sex is great. You know, you need to be figuring out how to make it great. You need to be having more sex. Like this, this hmm. isn't something that you, that you should let go by the wayside. Um, and I was at least doing it nicely. Uh, there, <laughs> a lot of the books were more women. You don't, you know, you need to have sex because that's your duty. I at least wasn't doing that, but I was still like, come on, ladies, let's, let's step up to the plate here. But <laughs> what I found when we, when we actually looked at it is that I'm going to, I'm going to list five things here. So everyone get ready. Okay. Here comes five things. Okay. When women frequently reach orgasm, when there's high marital satisfaction, when they feel emotionally close to their husbands during sex, so they don't feel used, they don't feel objectified, they feel emotionally close. When there's no porn use and when there's no sexual dysfunction, frequency pretty much sorts itself out. Huh. Okay. So frequency isn't the problem. It's a <laughs> symptom. Interesting. So if somebody doesn't want sex very much, it's very important to ask why. Now, this doesn't always mean there's something wrong with your spouse. Like she could, maybe the reason that she doesn't feel emotionally close during sex has nothing to do with him and everything to do with the fact that she has sexual trauma in her background, that she has internalized some really bad ideas about sex. I mean, we talked to so many women who said that their way forward and their way through healing was from their husband. So it's, it's not, I'm not trying to say that he necessarily is doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, and, and she could be the one using porn too. It's not like the porn use is always his problem. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's always on him at all, but we need to approach the frequency question very differently. Yeah. And say this is found. a symptom. And the other issue is we need to stop using frequency as the measure for whether or not a sex life is healthy. Because mm. the only thing frequency tells us is whether or not he's having an orgasm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. You know, she could be in emotional turmoil. She could even be feeling coerced and it would still count. 
as having sex yeah. if that's the way we're defining sex if we're only looking at at ejaculation at frequency of intercourse but if we're instead broadening the definition and saying no this is supposed to be something which is intimate mm-hmm. <laughs> you know where they feel close where it's pleasurable for both when it's mutual and those sorts of things become our standard then i think we'd get a much healthier picture that is really profound can you give those five things again just one more time i i sure. missed them in my note taking i missed a couple Okay. So frequent orgasm. So she frequently reaches orgasm. They have high marital satisfaction. Uh, They feel emotionally close during sex. There's no porn use and there's no sexual dysfunction. Yeah. Wow. Of either person. Yeah. Of either. Yeah. 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 Really, really helpful. Um, Because yeah, the frequency thing is what everybody talks about for sure. Right. And I, I mean, even like my wife and I are quite passionate about helping couples who are engaged because we had a very tumultuous engagement went through every hardship you can kind of imagine and just learned so much from it and realized like a lot of christian couples like engagements just like who can how how how, like quickly can we get married so we can finally start having sex and (laughs) we always chuckle at that a little bit because we're like actually the skills that you can build in a marriage to understand each other's well to delay gratification for starters but even have healthy conversation around sexuality you can actually lay a foundation that serves you really well when you're doing it and I think a lot of Christian couples just think they're going to be on the honeymoon. They're going to have sex all the time. It's going to be so awesome. And you're right. Everything's around frequency. That is really, really insightful. So I'm wondering now, okay, let, I mean, I'm sure you have people's attention. So they're hearing your guy's story. They're hearing some of the stats and they're going, oh my gosh, there's, maybe there's more to my sex life than I realized. Um, can you guys cast a vision here of what healthy godly sex looks like you keep using this word intimacy what what does it mean to actually do this thing correctly well i I think the first time that sex is mentioned in the bible it talks about how adam knew his wife eve Hmm. Um, and we all laugh at that a little bit we'd snigger in church as kids and we sort of think oh god was embarrassed he's using a euphemism that's sort of what we (laughs) think um but but we really don't believe that we believe that that actually is meant to signal something sex is not just a physical act it's meant to be something deep. It's meant to be a knowing of another person. Uh, that word in the Hebrew is the same word that uh, David uses when he says, search me and know me, O God, right? Mm. Like it's supposed to be something deep and intimate. We in, we've unfortunately taught of it as a physical transaction. And classically, it's the guy who wants it and the woman who doesn't. So we've got to try and convince the woman to give it to the guy, uh, as opposed to like, hey, why aren't we making this an amazing experience for both of us? Why, if you're a guy and you're not getting as much as you would like to get, the solution isn't to fix her so she wants it more. The, the solution is to show her why it's such a great thing. Um, mm. But we just haven't heard that a lot as guys. I, I've not heard that. Um, guys, let's make this an amazing experience for her. Mm-hmm. She uses the example all the time of chocolate cake. Chocolate cake is good. You don't have to convince people to eat chocolate cake because you have to convince people to stay away from chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) But with sex, you know, it's supposed to be something amazing and wonderful. And we give it lip service and we say that, Hmm. but then it isn't the experience of a lot of women. And our response is not to say to the men, let's make it a great experience for her. Our response is to say, well, (laughs) you know, just do it anyway, (laughs) lady. And, and And the good guy's guide to great sex is meant to sort of rectify that. It's meant to be a, hey guys, if you really want to take this seriously, if you want to rock your wife's world, if you want to be a great lover, not just be told you're a great lover, (laughs) but if you want to actually be a great lover, these are the things you need to know. 
Uh, and these are things you need to do. It starts with the first thing we talked about already, which is a mindset shift. Hmm. Uh, the second thing it starts with is just knowing the sexual response cycle and how arousal works. Because a lot of guys don't understand that. We we think that women are wired the same way we are. So we just kind of jump right in there and we expect they're going to be excited. You know, we get emails all the time from guys, from women saying, please tell my husband that grabbing my butt when I'm doing dishes is not foreplay. <laughs> because <laughs> men just don't understand the concept of how women work and, and how we need to start excitement and, and, you know, a lot of those other things before we just jump right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I guess I'm wondering when, like, I'm thinking about the frequency thing and some of the suggestions that you're making here, Keith. How do you guys measure a healthy sex life? Like, if it's not by frequency, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and we know that even the surveys are kind of revealing that sometimes people will give lip service here and they'll say the right thing, but what they're saying is not always the story going on under the sheet, so to speak. How <laughs> how do you start to measure what whether or not you're having healthy sex? You know what I mean? We actually had operational definitions for this in our survey <laughs> and okay. frequency was a part of it. It's just that it was only a part. Um, right. Other surveys have found, so so we had this externally validated for anyone who likes stats. Um, this was a nice finding. But when you look at frequency and sexual and marital satisfaction, once a week is a magic number. So when you're having sex less than once a week, it really impacts your marital satisfaction for the worse. And it impacts other measures for the worst. Once you're at once a week, having sex more often does help, but it's not, it's like you get the law of diminishing returns. Like it's not a huge bump, but so like once a week is like this magic number. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay. And we found that too. You had massive increases in marital satisfaction if you got to at least once a week <laughs> over wow. any of the other. But then after that, it's not so much. And um, the, the more reliable measures were not just frequency, but it was really frequency of her orgasm, um, whether or not they felt emotionally close during sex, um, mm. those sorts of measures as opposed to only frequency. And other studies have also found that the quality of the sexual encounter has more impact on marital satisfaction than the frequency of the sexual encounter. Yeah, can and that's for men and women, yeah, not just for men and we, women. we not not just for women, for men and women. Right. And I think the big thing is is that you know once a week that that's great. You know, obviously more is better. <laughs> we we, we want to have more, yeah. but the response to say therefore have more sex and that will make everything better is not the it's right not response. Yeah. Um, it should be what works for you as a couple, uh, and the way that you're going to have the amount of sex and the type of sex you want is to invest the time and energy into the the whole picture of what sex is meant to be, which is not just a physical act. It's about emotional connection. It's about a lot of other things as well, too. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, the I love the word you use there, Sheila, quality. Like the mm-hmm. quality of the interaction really goes a long way. So, so Keith, can you give some examples to guys of what they might, what are things they might do if, let's say, because I think a lot of guys will tell me, I know I'm not good on the emotional side of it. I, I don't have those skills. And granted, like guys are coming to me with good humility, like knowing they need to grow in this area. They know that it's something they need to kind of improve. Um, they're not necessarily blame shifting or anything. What, what do you tell a guy who's maybe going, yeah, that's a total blind spot of mine, um, but I'm not, I don't want to like have to cry all the time when I talk to her or like <laughs> we really have to go into the deep feelings or what if she cries, you know, like obviously you get all kinds of things when you start talking about emotions. I don't know. Is there anything practical that a guy can do to maybe open up the door here a little bit? Well, I think there's a couple of practical things. The first thing I would say is that, you know, one of these we talk about in the Good Guys Guide is about how emotional vulnerability uh, is a key to great sex. 
I mean, mm. the emotional aspect is is real. Uh, even if you we don't want to admit it as guys, sometimes it really is. And that's yeah. why makeup sex is a real thing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? right? You had a big fight. You laid it all on the table. You were so raw with each other. And you just feel so hot for each other now because it's all sorted out right? because, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you've just been at so connected, right? Yeah. Like it's such a, it's a real, real thing. So I think mm -hmm. that we have to work at developing that side of ourselves as, as men, because it's not something that, you know, even outside the church, it's not something that men are taught how to do very well. And, mm -hmm. and we do need to work on that. One of the little practical tips we give in the book about how to connect emotionally is something that we call the high-low. Um, we say at the, once a day, you sit down together as a couple and you just sort of say, Hey, what was the time today that you felt the most in the groove? You know, like hmm. God was working through me. I felt just right on track. Everything was flowing. It was perfect. Hmm. And what was the time when you felt kind of defeated, discouraged, or the most, you know, run down and just share those two highlights of the day. It doesn't take very long. Um, and you really get to see each other's hearts. Um, and, it, and it really, it's a, it's a very quick and easy way to connect at a very deep level. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's yeah. good. And I like that sharing those two emotional moments, as opposed to just your best and worst, because your worst might be someone rear-ended me, you know, it didn't do a <laughs> lot of damage to the car. So that's just like, you're aggravated, but that may not be as bad as when your boss, you know, warned you about something at work, mm -hmm. which was far mm -hmm. more discouraging. So it's like, it's like given him, or maybe you won the lottery. Like, yeah, that's a really good thing. But, but <laughs> the time <laughs> that you were the most in the groove, you know, was actually when you had this great conversation with a student that you're mentoring at school. And like, that was when you were most in the groove. So sharing those emotional moments um, really helps. Yeah, that's really helpful. Cause I think, I, I know sometimes I'm a little bit guilty of this where my wife asked me how my day is. And of course, I just tell her all the things I did, but she doesn't really care yeah. about the things I did. She wants mm -hmm. to know how I felt about them and what was my experience yeah. of them really like. Um, and that I think actually goes back to that biblical concept of personal intimate knowledge of, an of another. It's not mm -hmm. facts, like it's not, it's not something you can text a person, right? It's just, it's getting that interaction where you're actually experiencing them. Um, really, really helpful. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of the emoji for the most in the groove today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can go a lot of ways with that Dance. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. So, okay, Sheila, I'm wondering if you could, I, I like asking women this when they're on the podcast, because I think um, one thing that's been really helpful for guys, uh, at least in our program, has been hearing women's accounts of what it's like when they find out that their husband has been watching porn or, you know, those kinds of things. Like, it's just helpful to hear the women, the woman actually share about her side of it. And I'm, I guess I'm just curious for you, like, when um, when things did start to or when you did start to have conversations and and you guys felt like, you know, your sex life was improving and you had discovered some things that you wanted to share. What what is that experience like? What is it? Um, what what would what were you looking for from Keith in those earlier days when you wanted to make some improvements in your sex life, but maybe we're still figuring it out? Was it just helpful to have conversation? Was he doing certain things that were useful or not useful? Like, I'm just curious, like, what's the what's the female perspective of all this as you're trying to improve this area of your life? Well, Keith's story doesn't involve porn, but we, I've interviewed hundreds of women who it does. So let me yeah. let me give you some of the focus group stuff. Um, for so many of the women, it's just an incredible betrayal. And what they feel is, and, and a lot of it depends on how they find out. So please guys hear me on this one. It is hmm. far worse to stumble upon it by accident than to have your husband confess it. Hmm. Um, confession is difficult and it's not that that's going to be easy for her either, but 
that's a better road to recovery. Yeah. So if you're hiding it, it's time to come clean. And you might need some help with that. You might need a third party to have that conversation with her, depending on how bad the problem is, or, or you might want to have things in place so that you can show her that you're on the road to recovery or that you're committed to recovery. But, but confession is much better than her finding it accidentally. So that's mm-hmm. almost universally true. Um, what so many women tell me too, is that when it comes to recovery, what they're looking for is not just that he doesn't watch porn anymore, but that he becomes the kind of person that can be open and available. Because one of the big issues with porn is that so many men um, channel a lot of their emotional needs into pornography or into sex in some way. And so they actually end up quite closed off to their wives. Yeah. Um, and there's been a real lack of emotional vulnerability, openness, or even emotional maturity. And so as men get more comfortable, you know, with their emotions, when you're feeling bored, you don't itch to turn to porn, you figure out how am I going to handle boredom? You know, when you're feeling insecure at work, you don't turn to porn to make yourself feel better. You think, okay, what am I going to do about my insecurity? You know, the, you, know you learn yeah. coping patterns because when porn use begins, when you're 13, 14 years old, it's natural to channel a lot of these negative emotions into pornography. And so you don't learn the coping mechanisms for other things. So mm. I think what women are really looking for is a whole emotional man and not just a guy who doesn't use porn, but has now channeled all those same things into video games, for instance. Like it's not, it's not just about the fact that it's sexual sin. It's about the fact that they've closed off emotionally. Mm. Um, and so the way to rebuild that is really to rebuild um the emotional vulnerability, because that's how you rebuild trust, I think. Yeah, that's really good. So that's what I hear over and over again. Um, In terms of us, I mean, we just had, we just had to go back to the beginning. I think, um, like he said, we we speak a lot in both the good girl's guide to great sex and the good guy's guide to great sex, but the sexual response cycle and Mm -hmm. learning how that really works. um, Because neither of us really understood it. You know, there's a difference between excitement and arousal and desire. Those are three distinct things for guys. They all look kind of the same for women. They're very distinct. <laughs> and if you, you jump you into like, what's that? Can you expand on that? Just yeah. Especially okay, from so, a woman's perspective. I'm so curious. Okay. So desire is when you're like, yeah, jump me baby. Okay. So <laughs> desire is like, is like the mental component where you really want to have sex. Excitement is when your body is starting to warm up. It's starting to go, Hey, wow. Okay. This might be sexual, something sexual coming. So your heart rate is starting to increase a little bit. Um, you might start to get a little lubricated, but, but then arousal is when everything's really firing and you want serious stimulation in the erogenous zones. Okay. The problem is desire, excitement, arousal, so I'll look kind of the same for guys. Yeah. So we go straight from desire through excitement into arousal and we're ready to go, right? Like yeah, you that's get like a three second there. process. Yeah. Right. For women, it's not the same. And for a lot of women, desire doesn't even kick in until after excitement. So it's not mm. until after you've been kissing for a while, you've been playing with her hair, you've been nuzzling her neck that she starts to go, oh, I want to jump you. Like it's not, it, it doesn't come first. And that's the difference between what we call a spontaneous versus a responsive libido, you know, the desire become before excitement or after, and it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't right. matter where it comes as long as you're going to enjoy yourself once you start. 
But the big thing, I, I think that's important for a lot of guys to hear because we hear, you know, a lot of guys saying, my wife doesn't want to jump me. Like I want to jump her, mm-hmm. you know, and they think that means that their wife doesn't really want them physically. who doesn't want them sexually. Right. But it may just be that she has a responsive libido. You need to like do a little snuggling, nibbling on the earlobes, give me a little kiss, you know, breathe on the neck. And then she wants you that yeah. that's still, she wants you, buddy. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so I just think guys need to hear that. Just, she may have a responsive libido. So give her something to respond to and yeah. not jumping with both feet, something gentle and more exciting rather than the arousal stuff. Sheila's yeah. going to talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, because, okay, if she's not the least bit aroused and you go for the clitoral stimulation because everyone here is, oh, you're supposed to go to the clitoris. That's the point of pleasure for a woman. It feels like a pap smear. Okay. It feels <laughs> very invasive. It's not sexy at all. So you need mm. to wait until she actually wants to be touched in a sexual way. (laughs) And for some women, that's a really short process. And for some women, it's a much longer one. And doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that she's not as sexual if it takes longer. And it it can vary from night to night too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. where she is in her cycle. um, You know, if she's breastfeeding right now, uh, if she's perimenopausal, whatever. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's well within her right as well, like to figure those things out, obviously. I'm wondering, I, either of you guys could answer this, I suppose, but I I keep thinking about the expectations that we create in our head around sex. I've had guys come to me and say, you know, um, how do I get my wife to do other positions and stuff? Or, or um, you know, or the frequency thing would be another one. How do you how do you dismantle those things and actually convince people like, hey, you don't have to have sex like seven times a week. Uh, you don't have to do all the positions you see in porn. To, to have a healthy marriage like or have a healthy sex life. Because um, I, I imagine some people are probably hearing what you guys are saying and going, yeah, this makes perfect sense. They're going to make some adjustments. And some people, you might be gaining resistance because you're you're beating on expectations and belief systems that have been you know deeply implanted and reinforced over the years. How do you, how do you make some of those adjustments and start to actually learn these things? Mm-hmm. Well, I had a huge mountain of sex expectations when we got married. <laughs> and that was part of our problem, right? Is yeah. wait till you're married and then it'll all be amazing sort of thing. And I had yeah. to re- learn that this is something that's meant to be for both of us, not just for me. So the, the issue, I, I think one of the big things for guys is um, a lot of men channel um, their emotional insecurities or other things into sex. Sex will make me feel like a man, right? right. Um, rather than I feel like, a, like, like feeling like a man in yourself, being confident in yourself. And then what can I bring to this relationship with my wife? Hmm. We, we look to sex as a thing that's going to build us up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to nurture us as opposed to an outflowing of the mature man that we are hmm. in this relationship with my wife and what we can give to each other. I don't know if that makes sense, Very but that's sense. where I, I think men need to work on not, if you want to have sex every day, you need to ask yourself, am I trying to meet other needs in my life with sex instead of the other need that with the legitimate way that other need needs to be met, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. there's, yeah. And I, I think there's also another element, which is frequency, um, positions, those are all preferences, right? Mm. Some people, you know, these are things that are kind of like the cherry on top, but they're not the big thing. And what I would say to people is you're not allowed to talk about the cherry on top until (laughs) you've made the cake. (laughs) And that means that you don't get to talk about 
well, I'd really like it if we tried different positions or I really want sex more frequently until she is frequently orgasming when you do have sex. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. like there are certain bare minimums. So she, you know, she needs to be frequently orgasming. You need to be porn free so that she feels emotionally close during sex. Like these are the bare minimums and you're mm. not allowed to ask for the extras until the bare minimums have been met. That's and once too, those bare yeah. minimums have been met, you might actually find that the extras take care of themselves. Right. Mm. Right. In one way or the other, right? I suppose that maybe you don't need them as much as you think you did or that mm -hmm. they just naturally occur, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really helpful. Um, I'm wondering if you can, I, again, this is not a particularly specific question, but it'd be cool to hear some of your guys' thoughts on some biblical interpretations around sex, um, around what, what constitutes healthy sex from a biblical point of view. Because obviously you have st stats and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I'm just imagining, I'm trying to imagine every kind of objection that people might have to your messaging. So they're like, okay, the stats are great. Your experience is great. All these other stories are great. But what about what the Bible says? Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any, any light you want to shed on yeah, that maybe. arena for your message? Yeah, I think that the most frequently misinterpreted verses when it comes to sex are 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. Um, and those verses say the husband must fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband and the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband. And likewise, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife mm. and do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. And for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and fasting, but then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you for the, um, because of your lack of self-control. And often people use those verses to say, see, you're not allowed to deprive each other. You need to keep nice. having sex. That's not what those verses are saying. First of all, do you know what the very next verse is that no one ever quotes? No, go for it. I say this as a concession, not a command. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so Paul's even saying it's not a command. But, but, if but, you, we, but we use it in the church to we command use it as a command. the lower drive spouse. Mm -hmm. hmm. But when you look at those verses, oh. first of all, what you'll notice is the wife's needs are mentioned first. So the husband must fulfill his marital duties to the wife. Um, so both and nothing that he is given is not also given to her. So everything is completely and utterly mutual. Hmm. So the do not deprive verses are in the context of mutuality. But beyond that, what is it that we're not supposed to deprive each other of? And usually it, it, people say intercourse, you're not allowed that because that's our definition of sex, right? Is merely intercourse. So see women, you're not allowed to not give him intercourse. Okay. Except <laughs> that biblically sex is intimate, as we know from Genesis four, verse one, hmm. um, Adam knew his wife, Eve, it's pleasurable for both. As we know from Song of Solomon, you know, she is having just as much fun as he is. And he, she's actually saying more words than he is. So yeah, right. pleasurable for both and mutual. So that means it isn't just intercourse. <laughs> like if you're having sex and she's not into it and she feels emotionally disconnected from you, she is already being deprived and those verses don't even apply. Mm -hmm. Right. So what these verses are saying is that a healthy mutual sex life is part of a healthy marriage and you're not supposed to deprive each other of a healthy mutual sex life. But it isn't saying you need to give your partner intercourse whenever they want because mm. this is not about gratifying selfishness at all. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that I think that was worth the entire interview. Like that mutuality 
piece is so significant, isn't it? And I think when you're, Keith, I like what you were saying as well. Like it's, you're coming in with a, a servant's heart. Like you're, you're there to serve the other person. And when you make them that priority and you're, it, it actually naturally becomes mutually beneficial. Of course, as we know, this is like a biblical concept anyway, that as you serve other people, you too will be served. Um, this is so good, guys. So I guess maybe where we can land all of this is you're going to have people all across the board here. So some people who maybe have never had sex before, like they're, they're just learning for when the time comes. Some people who maybe are having sex, not enjoying it, and other people who maybe are, let's say, further along the spectrum, but want to make some improvements. Can you give some examples of some, some things that people can do to maybe take this really useful information and then actually start applying it in their lives? I think one of the big things is just talk to each other. You know, mm. like you said earlier, we have so many expectations going into this. And a lot of those expectations are not spoken aloud. Right. And so both of us end up feeling more and more alone, more and more disconnected, but we don't explain why. And often we don't even know what words to use because we haven't always thought about this directly. It's just, it's just this thing that is here and we can't really define it. Uh, and so the more you can just be open and bring these things to the surface, the better it's going to be. And those are mm. hard conversations. I know they're hard. We've been there, mm. but you need to talk about it. And sometimes books can really help, you know, great sex rescue can help good guys guide to great sex can help. Uh, in, in both books, there are discussion questions that you can read together. There's check-ins for you. Um, if you just need something to help you talk about it, but I think getting back to this, to these expectations and figuring out what is it that sex was supposed to be and why am I feeling so disconnected and so triggered when these things happen? Yeah, that's Bring really that good. In. Sorry, Keith, Keith, just before you go, I was just going to say, um, Sheila, you were reminding me when, when we were engaged and um, getting closer to like, you know, the epic wedding day. And um, I remember feeling so nervous, like getting performance anxiety almost, because I could kind of feel the pressure of like 29 years of my life, like all surmounting to one moment. And so I, I had learned, I would just say like a very small primitive version of some of the things we're discussing. And I was like, oh, I think I can talk to her about this. And, um, and so I had this conversation, I just explained to her like, hey, I'm super terrified that like, I'm going to be terrible, basically, and this is not going to meet any of your expectations. And she was like, uh, so or I think so I had asked her, what are you expecting? And she's like, honestly, she's like, as long as we do whatever we do together that night, I'm going to be totally happy, it doesn't matter what it is. And it was so helpful for me. And like from that day until our wedding day, I think there was still maybe a month or two. Um, I just made all these jokes about like, I hope you're ready for the best like 30 seconds of your life. You know, like, <laughs> we just made like total light of it. And it was so it was actually so helpful, you know, because it was like, I think even just the act of talking it like really dissipated any of that pressure and angst. And then we were able to like joke around, have fun with it. And I think, Sheila, what you're talking about is it's it's not actually that complicated. It just sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to have that initial conversation. But um, I know in my own life, it was totally worth it. So anyways, I just want to add that commentary. But Keith, please go ahead. I know you had something you want to add. Oh, sure. Well, let me add one more thing to what you just said there. We have a whole chapter on preparing for the honeymoon. Um, okay. And that's kind of what we talk about. We talk about how like, this is the start of your sexual journey together. Like, mm. it's okay to pace yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the, the wedding night comes after the wedding day, which is the longest and most stressful day of your life. So yeah. like, and we talk a lot about that in a whole chapter. Mm -hmm.
Um, but what I was going to say earlier was just to add on to what Sheila is saying about talking um, to the guys, talking to your wives. Uh, and I, I think that that's really important that a lot of guys, um, a lot of women have bought into messages that the husband really hasn't bought into, but they don't realize that. So right. one of the big things that happened in some of their focus groups was, for instance, um, what Sheila calls the obligation sex message is very prevalent. Uh, so women feel that this is something they have to give their husbands. And it's been shown in their work to statistically lower women's libido, lower their satisfaction in the sexual experience. It has a lot of really bad effects. So a lot of women received a lot of healing when they started talking about this and actually verbalized this. And their husband said, what? No, no, I don't think that. I can't believe you've thought that you owed this to me. That's not in, even in my mind. And right. they, didn't, they didn't even realize it. So you can be a real source of healing to your wife, not just by saying, I don't think you're obliged, but by showing her. This mm. is not an obligation. This is something I want us to do together. If things are going uh, along really nice and smooth and then something happens and she's like, you know what? I don't think I can tonight. Being, okay, that's fine. If it's not going to work for both of us, it's not working for either of us. That's the way it works. Mm. And being okay with that. That takes a lot of vulnerability and maturity that's, to be frank, some guys don't have. And if you're one of those guys, you need to work on that because that's what sex is about. It's really about mutuality. But if you can be that kind of guy who says, look, this is something I really want for both of us, it can just be unbelievably awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And I, I think that the um, even just the countenance, like the way a guy responds to the, that kind of thing is really important. I remember the first time my wife said no in our marriage and I could just see the fear in her, like like expecting a really bad response. And and obviously, again, you can say the right thing. You can give the lip service of like, that's no problem. But then if you're giving her the cold shoulder or you're kind of holding it against her, she's going to pick up on that right away. Um, and I know for her, it was super liberating to be like, oh, it's actually okay. Like, you're not going to treat me differently and whatever. And that kind of, like, for me, what I always say to guys is, wouldn't you rather have sex with somebody who actually wants to have it? Like, <laughs> to me, that just seems so, like, intuitive. You know, like, why would you want to do it with somebody who's not really that into it or who's basically said, I don't want to? Um, anyway, we could keep going, but I promised myself um, that I wouldn't, I would, we'd pick our spots. And this has been really, really good. I know guys are going to want to connect with you, uh, with you both, Keith, your book. Um, and I recommend to our male audience, which I know is um, a predominant of the listenership, uh, you should really get Sheila's book as well, The Great Sex Rescue, because I, I think just the things you're exposing in that book and the truths that you're presenting are needed. They're needed widespread. It's not, not a surprise to me at all that God has really gotten that book out to the masses because it's a very, very important message. Uh, but if people did want to go a bit further beyond the books, is there any other way they can connect with you guys? Sure. Well, my blog is at lovehonorandvacuum.com and that's where you can find all my social media. I'm quite active on Instagram, um, yeah. on Facebook, etc. And we also have a number of courses. If you click on courses at tolovehonorandvacuum.com, we have an orgasm course for her. We have a puberty course. If you need to talk to your kids about sex and puberty, um, those are kind yeah. of fun. So there's lots of things there. If you just go to tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Okay. Amazing guys. Thank you so much for being here. This has been a real treat. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Well, there you have it. That was a really, really interesting interview. I thoroughly enjoyed those two. And I don't know, I, I guess I just found it really refreshing to hear their perspective on sex, how open they are about it. And 
you know, I, I know for me, like I've had to put myself on the altar, so to speak, as far as like just sharing my own struggles to, you know, inspire you guys to show, hey, in your struggles, you can overcome this. And Keith and Sheila are doing the same thing with sex. And that's really personal, really intimate. Anybody who's brave enough to talk about that subject as a couple deserves a gold star, but uh, they just do it so well. So I hope you learn lots. I want to encourage you guys, uh, for the guys who are listening, get your hands on Keith's book. Uh, this guy is very well researched. He's a practicing pediatrician. So, I mean, he's just coming at it with, I would say, a lot of credibility. And uh, they, they're they very thorough in their research. Uh, I would also recommend for the guys and the girls to get uh, Sheila's The Great Sex Rescue. It's just a very eye-opening book. And I think... Um, if you're a guy and you're realizing that maybe you lack a little bit of emotional intelligence uh, or maybe even just understanding the woman's side of sex, that's a great resource. It's going to be very eye-opening and I think you'll learn a lot and it'll really soften and tenderize your heart towards your wife or your significant other or if you're single, your future wife. So uh, just some great resources. encourage you to get your hands on them. Obviously, Sheila mentioned um, her Instagram profile as well. So we'll put links to all that in the show notes. And if you are a guy struggling with porn, you know, that was one of the fascinating things about the interview. She was talking about how um, it's not really about frequency, but frequency is just kind of the, the lag measure. It sort of indicates uh, the health of a marriage, but it's, it's five things, right, that are going on underneath the surface. One of those was no porn. And if you can control that part of it, there's a much better chance you're going to have a healthy sex life. So if you want a healthy sex life and you want to get free of porn, and you haven't figured out a way to do that. Maybe you're using internet filters and accountability partners. Maybe you've tried a course or a program there, but you just haven't found that solution that really tackles the root issues. I want to encourage you to join our private community. It's called Deep Clean Inner Circle, and it is a place where we do live trainings. It's a community for you to get some support and encouragement from one another and coaching from me for free. You can ask any questions you want. I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you. We're pretty active in that group, and I'd love to see you there. It's called Deep Clean Inner Circle. You can find it on Facebook, or you can just click the link in the show notes. But that is a great way for you to get started on your recovery journey without any investment, totally free of charge. I hope to see you there. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you very, very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, You can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.